0: Because this morning, if you're a guest with us, we'll just let you know this is not necessarily a normal thing that we do each week. But this morning, my wife Emily and I are going to be bringing the message together, um, which we've done a few times here.
1: We've done a few times here.
0: And I always enjoy doing this. It's always fun and uh, adds a different perspective. And today we're continuing in our series that we've been in in the month of January called I Quit. I quit. And if you haven't had a chance to add what you want to quit this year, you can write it on the back wall there before you leave. Um, But we're in this series called I Quit, and today we're sharing a message with you called I Quit Hiding. And now ever since I was a little kid, I have always loved to hide. And one of my favorite games growing up was sardines. Do y'all know about sardines? Y'all know how to play that game? So, okay, Thomas does. So sardines is fun. Sardines is basically reverse hide and go seek. And so one person hides, and everybody tries to find them. And then once you find them, you hide with them. And then over time, the group grows and grows and grows. And then the last person to find them, when they're just wandering around in the dark, the last person to find them loses. And the first person to find them wins. And then it starts over. And I always love it. And I love it because, one, you don't have to be fast. You don't have to be athletic. And I was none of those things growing up. So it worked out well for me because I was pretty good at it, and I enjoyed hiding. And so this year, I've been introducing it to our student ministry, and we played it uh, in the fall. And then actually, we played it the other night here in the church. Uh, we closed off the kids' area, but we, we had all the lights off. And if you don't know, it is dark in here. And um, so we had one of our leaders hide. And after about, like, 15 minutes of searching, I, I couldn't find her. None of us could find her. So I text her, where are you? <laughs> no response. No response, because she's good at hiding. She didn't want to let us know. So finally people started disappearing. So it was like, okay, some people found her. And finally we found her, and she was back behind the spiral staircase in the very corner there. You couldn't see her. And she was really good at hiding. And that's the case for some of us. Other people, terrible at hiding. These are the people who are like, in hiding, they're always whispering. They're always calling out because they hate being alone. They hate being in the dark. They want to be found. And, you know, you probably find yourself somewhere on that spectrum. And growing up, we learn how to hide playing games like hide and go seek, peekaboo and sardines and it's kind of fun and it's simple. But hiding actually doesn't go away as we get older. It actually gets a little more complicated and it gets a little more complex and instead of of hiding for games and for fun, we start hiding uh, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And we hide in many different ways.
1: Yeah. And I remember even doing this relationally when Jonathan and I started dating. Mm. You know when you start dating someone, you're talking to them, they're getting ready to come over, and you hide all the junk that's been accumulating on mm-hmm. your coffee table? Or was that just me? No. You, no? Had, you, had, okay. a lot of, you had a
0: lot of stuff to hide. So
1: <laughs> and if you're me, you would spend hours like cleaning and primping and making sure, you know, he thinks your kitchen always looks this spotless, right? Uh, but the problem with that is, Jonathan's kitchen really did always look that spotless, right? To this day, he still does like all of our dishes. I do not have that gift, right?
0: <laughs> the gift so... of doing it. Now it's a gift. <laughs> so you can use that one with your spouse. Doing the dishes is a gift. It's just you have not my or you calling,
1: don't. it's not my Enneagram type.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so, really, for the first year of our relationship, Jonathan wasn't even allowed to look in my bedroom because that's where I was stashing like all my laundry and all the books and bags and shoes and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was hiding it because I thought deep down, if he sees my mess, he's not gonna want anything to do with me, right? And that might seem like kind of a small example, but I think we do this in some ways that can be actually really damaging. We can hide our true feelings out of fear of being rejected. We hide our pain because we don't wanna be a burden to other people. We hide when others have hurt us because that means admitting that we're capable of being hurt, of being wounded. And we hide our doubts because it means admitting that we don't have everything figured out. Or maybe it's more subtle for you. Maybe you find yourself avoiding eye contact with people. Or maybe as soon as you go out in a public place, you try to look busy on your phone, right? That's me. I love doing that. (laughs) Or maybe you avoid public places altogether out of fear of being judged. Or you put up a a shield of humor if someone gets a little bit too close. Mm. Or you push people away with anger because you're afraid that if they get close enough, they're going to see your weakness. So we trade our authentic selves all the time for the security of isolation and managing our pain. And this is something I think we all do to a certain extent. So if you're hiding, you're not alone. In fact, people have been doing this really since the beginning of time. Hmm. And today, a quarter of Americans say that they have no one with whom they feel like they can share their most personal struggles.
0: Hmm. And that's a super high number. Uh, But like Emily said, this isn't anything new. This isn't like new for our generation or our culture. Actually, people have been hiding since the very beginning of time. And actually, we're going to be looking this morning in Genesis, in the very first chapters of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And we actually find people hiding right there in the very first pages. And actually, the first question God ever asks is, where are you? Where are you? And so in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we find the creation account. We find that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything, and everything was good. Everything was good except for one thing. God said it's not good for man to be alone, and so he created woman. And he gave them a task to do. He said, hey, I want you to take care of this garden I've given you, and I'm going to give you one stipulation. And we find this in Genesis chapter 2. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at this moment in time, every relationship was perfect. The the relationship between creator and his creation was just as he designed it to be, full of love, uh, full of freedom, full of trust. The relationships between man and woman, between Adam and Eve, it was perfect, it was perfect love. And we read in Genesis chapter 2 also that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. But then we see in Genesis chapter 3 that things kind of quickly begin to change. And so that's what we're going to be reading in this morning. So here's what we find, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from... The trees in the garden may eat fruit from them, but, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So I want to pause right here. I mean, so here we see in Genesis that the relationships God had with people were real relationships, they were free relationships. God wanted it to be a true love, and so true love is freely chosen. So he gave them the opportunity. To, to choose to love and trust and obey him or to not. And so we see that as soon as the seeds of doubt were planted in their minds, as soon as they began thinking about, maybe God doesn't really have the best thing for me in mind, they turn away from him and they're disobedient from him. And we find that a spiritual death begins to enter into their reality. Their eyes were opened into the evil in which they had befallen. And all of a sudden, shame, guilt, and brokenness begin to enter into the picture and enter into our world. And so what do they do? They begin to hide. They begin to hide from one another by making coverings for themselves to cover up the shame. They're trying to deal with it themselves. And then it continues in verse eight, when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you not eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And here, I love this picture of God that we get because if you're like me, you kind of expect God right when they disobey him to just kind of like zap them and be like, okay, done, let's start over. But God doesn't do that. Actually, God, he, he searches them out. He says, where are you? We see an act of grace here. He graciously calls them to come out of hiding. And this is a picture of God's pervenient grace, God's grace that goes before us and draws us into a relationship with himself, God's grace which seeks us out even when we feel like we're unworthy of love, even when we feel like he shouldn't love us, God calls us to him. And here he gives Adam a chance to confess and to kind of own up to what he did. And what does Adam, Adam say? The man says this, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. How do you like that for, for not taking ownership? Some, some of us are familiar with these non-apology apologies like this. So he, he says, look, you know what? This woman, she made me do it. And then he actually, in turn, also kind of blames God. He's like, look, you gave her to me. If you wouldn't have given her to me, then maybe all of this wouldn't happen. And, and so here he's kind of hiding. He's starting to blame. And so then God, he actually goes to Eve. He gives her an opportunity uh, to respond. And so he says to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so she's kind of hedging here too. And it's like she's saying, look, the devil made me do it. And then right after this, we do see God's judgment. We see God's judgment upon the serpent. We see consequences for their sin And sometimes we think, you know what, God's judgment and consequences are separate from his grace and his love, but here we see them together because even as he banishes them from the garden, if you're familiar with the story, he sends them out of the garden, even as he does that, he gives them a gift. He gives them a gracious gift that we read in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And through the shedding of blood, he gives them new garments. He gives them the opportunity to exchange the raggedy garments they've made, their solutions for their shame. And he says, here, take these. Take these. It's a gift that they need as they head out into a very difficult world that they're about to enter into. And what we see going on here is Adam and Eve hide, and then God seeks them out. He continues to want a relationship with them. This is a pattern that we see over And over again in scripture. Because if you're not familiar with with people in the Bible. You'll find there are no perfect people in the Bible. Except for Jesus Christ. And so people over and over again. They're sinning. Or they're being sinned against. They're living in the brokenness of the world. And what do they do in response to that? A lot of times they like us. They hide. They hide. We see this with, with people like Jonah. As he runs away. We see this with people like Peter. When he denies Jesus. We see this with the woman at the well as she hides in the middle of the day by not being around other people. And what does God do when people are in the midst of hiding? He always tries to seek them out. He always tries to draw them back into relationship with himself because that's what God wants for us. That's what we are created for. That's why he sent his son Jesus into this world to come and to seek and to save the lost. And then why does God do that? God does that Because he knows that when we're hiding, when we're hiding from him, that we can't experience the love and the relationship that he desires for us, that he created us for. And when we're hiding from other people, we can't experience the community he created us for that we read about in Genesis. And we can't experience true love from other people as well when we're hiding.
1: Yeah. And it can be scary to come out of hiding Mm. for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you've become used to it. If your default mode is kind of to isolate yourself and turn inward, you can actually start to feel pretty comfortable Mm. because, you know, you don't have to deal with anybody else's mess. It's kind of easier, right? And you can kind of conveniently tuck away your own mess so that other people don't have to see it. You know, or maybe you grew up in a family where communication just wasn't healthy. Maybe your family didn't talk about anything significant together and you picked up this message that it's really not okay to express what's going on with you. Hmm. Or Maybe you were kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum and your family had no boundaries, Hmm. right? And so you never learned how to appropriately express yourself without depending on others for validation or an emotional response. And the world we live in doesn't often value vulnerability, right? If You bring vulnerability into the workplace there is a chance you might lose your job. Mm. If we go through some sort of adversity, the world tells us to be strong, right? Mm. And to kind of stifle or ignore that natural emotional response that comes up. And Dr. Brené Brown, who studies shame, says that for women in our culture, shame has kind of three messages. Do it all, do it perfectly, and never let them see you sweat. Mm. Right, it's kind of all those things wrapped up together. But for men, shame isn't that complicated. Shame is one. Do not be perceived as what weak. Weak exactly. And sometimes it's difficult to come out of hiding because of our own sin. Right? We think if people really knew what I did when I'm alone at night, if people really knew the quality of my thoughts or my heart, if people knew the specifics of my sin there is no way that they would love or accept me. And sometimes we hide because of the sins of others. We've been sinned against in the past. You know, we did take that risk and someone rejected us, right? Maybe we expressed our vulnerability and somebody shut it down because it called them to look at something in their own lives. And that is a real and a painful experience. But I think it's probably most damaging because it can lead us to believe that we are not worthy of love and belonging. Brene Brown um, defines shame this way, and I think shame is really kind of the main reason that we, c- that we hide. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is that fear of disconnection. Shame is that voice that says, I'm not blank enough. I'm not thin enough, I'm not pretty enough, successful enough, wealthy enough, right? And when we feel shame, when we feel that disconnection between who we are and who we want to be, we hide, Hmm. and we numb ourselves. But the problem with that is that we can't selectively numb emotion. We can't say, okay, here's shame, fear, guilt, anger, here's all the bad stuff, I don't want to feel this, I'm going to have a couple beers and take a nap, Hmm. right? (laughs) or I'm gonna go eat a banana nut muffin. Mm. We can't numb those without also numbing joy and gratitude, happiness. So when we numb all of those feelings, we start to feel empty. We start looking for purpose and meaning, and that makes us feel vulnerable. So we go have a couple beers and a banana nut muffin, Mm. right? Mm
0: -hmm. It's like a cycle. So
1: how do we stop that vicious cycle? We have to come out of that place of hiding and embrace our vulnerability. In order for us to experience connection with God and with other people, we have to allow ourselves to be seen.
0: And one of the the simple ways to be seen by God and to really come out of hiding in our relationship with God is, is through prayer. Because like we see in the scripture, God is always calling out to us. He's always saying, hey, where are you? I'm here. I want a relationship with you. I want to talk with you. He's always seeking us out. And so when we respond to God in prayer and open up ourselves to him, he meets us there. And his grace fills us. And one particular aspect of prayer where God meets us is through prayers of confession. And now, depending on how you grew up in your religious tradition... Prayers of confession might have a very specific kind of mentality to them, uh, like if you grew up going and doing formal confession with a priest. But the Latin root behind the word confession, it's, it's two parts. It's com, which means together, and fatari, which means to admit. And so when we come together before God and we admit that we've sinned and that we're feeling guilty, when we do that, When we open up ourselves to him, he promises through the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us and to cleanse us from those things. When we come together before God and we admit that we're feeling shame, that we're feeling like we're not worthy of love or we don't belong or we're not worthy of belonging, it's then that the Holy Spirit can come into us and like we talked about last week, speak over us the words that Jesus heard at his baptism, this is my beloved child. With you, I'm well pleased. It's when we come together with God and we admit that, that we're broken, that the world is broken, and that all of this isn't exactly what we expected or hoped for. It's then that God meets us and lets us know, I am with you and I will never leave nor forsake you. And now this can kind of seem counterintuitive, kind of bringing ourselves out of hiding before God into prayer because we think, well, God already knows what I'm thinking. God already knows what I did. He already knows who I am. But the reason we do this is because when we open up ourselves to God, we open up our hearts and our lives to Him. Once we're open, it's then that His grace can fill us. When we're closed and when we're hiding, we're actually separating ourselves from the gifts that He wants to give us.
1: And, you know, it's definitely through prayer and confession that we can experience a breakthrough in our relationship with God. But like Jonathan said, God already knows the quality of our hearts and our thoughts, right? And so sometimes it's even scarier to actually tell that to another human being, right? So to bring that information to light. And it can be really scary, but when we stop hiding from others, we experience breakthrough in those relationships too, And when we're vulnerable in our relationships with other Christians, we allow ourselves to experience a true sense of belonging, not just fitting in, right, based on an image we project or social norms that we subscribe to, but true acceptance in and through a community of Jesus Christ. Donald Miller, a Christian author, says this about his experience of connection. We don't think of our flaws as the glue that binds us to the people we love, but they are. Grace only sticks to our imperfections. Those who can't accept their imperfections can't accept grace either. And this might seem sort of counterintuitive, but I know I've found in my own life and in my work as a therapist that the relationships in which people can be the most real are the ones where they experience the most love the most of that sense of belonging and and, and acceptance. So how does that begin? Well, first, if someone takes that risk with you, if they're vulnerable and open themselves up, the best thing you can do for that person and for your relationship is to respond with empathy, not with judgment. Second, whether it's through existing relationships with your friends or family or getting plugged in here to a small group or Bible study or purposely plugged in on Wednesday nights, find some people to open up to and get real with. You know, we, uh, when we risk opening up to someone who has earned the right to hear our story, that's when we allow allowed true relationship and true love and acceptance to come in. And vulnerability from yourself often leads to vulnerability in other people. And that's how our relationships deepen and we experience honest, real love. Mm
0: -hmm. And and we've experienced this. I mean, we're in a small group here. And when you open up and you're real, you experience that love. We've experienced in friendships. um, And I've been blessed throughout my life to have some great friendships where I've been able to be real and open up and they've been really helpful for me. And we were preparing this message, we were thinking about stories that really illustrate this. And um, I've never, never really shared this, this publicly, so my mom and dad are probably listening, or your parents are listening, but that's okay. Um, but there was a season in, in, in my life and in our life together, we had been dating uh, just over about two years, and I was on staff at a very large church. And literally six times a week, I started counting, somebody would come up and they'd say, why haven't you proposed yet? Why aren't you marrying her? What's wrong with you? You're crazy for not marrying her. And over and over again, people would speak that over me into my life. And it was very annoying. (laughs) Because actually, in my heart, I wasn't ready to commit to her yet. I wasn't ready to make that commitment of marriage. And that's kind of scary, you know, when you're a couple years deep in the relationship. And we hadn't talked a ton about it, but she knew that, that I had some stuff there. And then one day, finally, I was on the phone with one of my buddies, Chase, and Chase is the type of friend, I don't know if you have these, if, if not, you should get one, uh, they, they, they move past the fluff. They move past the fluff and they immediately ask the hard questions or get real with you. They don't let you hide. And we've been friends for years, and so he had, he had that ability to speak into my life. And he said to me one day, he said, look, why do you think you're afraid to commit? What do you think is holding you up? And so I began to think and kind of process out loud with somebody. And I told him that really, I think it's fear. I think it's fear because working in the church, I, I see a lot of broken marriages. Uh, I've seen a lot of pastors who have terrible marriages that end in ruin. And I, I just told him, I was like, look, based on past relationships. I'm terrible at relationships, and I'm afraid that I'm ultimately going to hurt her. And when I opened up my, my heart and I spoke those things to him, he laughed. He laughed at me, which is not the response you want, right? You know, when you pour out yourself, you want a hug or something. We were on the phone, so I couldn't do that. He laughed, and then he said, Jonathan, that's crazy. He said, that's crazy that you think that you're bad at relationships. He said, you're a great friend. Everything I know about your relationship, you're great to, Emily. He said, I'm laughing because if anybody who really knows you could tell you this, they would tell you, you're not bad at relationships. You're actually good at them. What you've been telling yourself is a lie. And for one of the first times, that internal message that I'd always been telling myself, that I'm bad at relationships, it began to shift. And I began to be able to talk with God more about it. I began to to talk With Emily about it, we began to kind of open up, and and I began to let her in on some of my fears, which, you know, when you're that deep in a relationship, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. But, instead of the relationship kind of faltering and and petering away, it actually strengthened us, and it helped us continue to grow deeper together. And It it wasn't any kind of quick fix, um, but over time, you kind of know how how the story ends, right? We we eventually got married, and I love her. Um, (laughs) But, It took a real relationship where I could be really honest to begin to get to that point of honesty with God and to experience love um, from other people and from God.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if Jonathan had just gotten that word from somebody he didn't know very well, Hmm. he probably wouldn't have been able to receive it. But whether you experience that true love and belonging and accountability and allow people to see your vulnerability with a spouse, with a friend or a family member, people in church, or from God. We all have to quit hiding and start being real. Hmm. Because it's once we finally open up our hearts that God is able to fill them with His love. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and you know, sometimes we don't think about this, but uh, we can hide even in church, right? We can kind of come here, we can sing the songs, we can kind of do the practices and still kind of separate ourselves, and still feel distant from God, and kind of put some distance between us. And so um, as we close this morning, like Emily said, we want to encourage you um, this new year to to get connected in community here at our church, to begin stepping out in relationships, trying to find and form real relationships. Um, And if you feel like you don't have anybody in your life, reach out to me. I'd love to be that person for you. And so this morning, what we're going to do as we close is we're going to have an opportunity where we just kind of sit before God. And um, Amy's going to play on the piano for us. And we're just going to have a few moments of silence where you're going to have an opportunity to sit before God and just talk with him. And now this might be terrifying for you, um, or this, this might feel like talking to an old friend. But we want to open up that space for you so you can open up and start being real with God and start being real with other people. Uh, So we just want to invite you to bow your heads. Sit here in this silence. And we want to invite you to come out from hiding and talk with God who has been seeking after you.